Uh, the Lord Jesus is worth singing about, is he not? Is he worth talking about? Did you have a chance to talk with someone about him this week? Yeah. Hey, 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 brother, come here for a second. T -t Tell us about I don't even know who you are, so I'm taking a chance here. But, but it's okay. Uh, nothing better. Hey, come up, Jim. Tell us about a conversation you had with someone about the Lord. Well, I talked to some old lady at the nursing home. <laughs> and I'm going back to visit another lady on Tuesday. She's 100 years old and doesn't know Christ. Wonderful, wonderful. So pray for me. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for Brother Jim. He's an ambassador and he loves you, wants to tell people about you. This lady, 100, thank you for her. And probably she doesn't have much longer here. We want her to have eternity with you. So would you go before Brother Jim, prepare her heart uh, for his words, the gospel which can usher her into the kingdom, into eternity forever. We pray for her salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you, brother. Anybody else? Come on, let's do this. Anybody have a chance to talk to someone about the Lord Jesus tonight? Don't worry about it. It's just us here. Totally unprepared. Nobody to impress. What do you got on your shirt there? Armed and dangerous? I invite a guy with this shirt up here. Tell us what happened. It's a church shirt. I bought it here. <laughs> I had a chance to talk with a client today. Uh, we were talking finances, what's going on in the world. Uh, and then I told him, you know, the best day I ever had. <laughs> day that I invited Jesus into my life, realized he saved my life by giving his life on the cross for my sins. And we had a very spiritual talk, and hopefully he's going to be coming and seeing us next Wednesday and having dinner with us and enjoying a sermon. Wow. So let's all pray for him. Uh, his name is Bob Turish. Um, thank you. God bless you. What's your name? Billy. Billy. God bless you, Billy, for doing the Lord's work. And we pray for this this man. Let's pray. Lord, did you say his name was Bob? Lord, you know Bob, and we're struggling a little bit to identify him, but you have had your eyes on him even from before time. And we pray, oh God, you might see fit to show your grace and mercy to him, to usher him into a personal relationship with you, to forgive him as you have forgiven us by grace and by mercy. We pray, oh God, he would come next week, in fact, and that it would be good for him, that he would be built up in the faith, and that he would bring glory to your name here on earth. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, God bless you. Anybody else want to share something? These are blessings for us. Um, so uh, I'd like you to be thinking about talking to people about the Lord Jesus this next week. Would you please? There's no greater joy. I'm telling you, I've tried it. This is the... When you're talking to someone about the Lord Jesus, you are in exact alignment with his purpose for you. What's your purpose? Sometimes we wonder, why am I here, oh God? It's to declare truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he has us here. And this is a very perplexing thing to me. He chooses not to use angels. He chooses to use us. He chooses people to tell other people about the Lord. We are those people. Don't miss out on an opportunity to represent the Lord Jesus during this next week. So uh, I got a haircut on Tuesday. Can you tell? Yeah. Well, I believe in getting my money's worth. And so... There you have it. This lady took it all off. And I had never met this lady. I just, I, I, it's not a fancy place. I just go and I sit in the chair and, 
and uh, they pretty much have their way with me, as you can see. And uh, so uh, I began to think, oh, God in heaven, I have an agenda. Mine is to get a, a haircut. But what's your agenda? It's to extend yourself to this particular lady. So a good way to start, folks, is just make normal conversation. I commend friendliness to you as a good pre-evangelism tool. Just be friendly. Make conversation. So I said to her, how long have you been here? She said, about a month and a half. I said, oh, that's good. How are you liking this place of employment? She says, I like it very, very much. And I said, well, where are you from? And she said, well, I grew up in the Sagemont area. She said, in fact, I went to Dobie High School. I'm a graduate, said she, of Dobie High School years ago. I said, oh my goodness, that is right in our neighborhood. I'm a member of Sagemont Church. Have you heard of it? Heard of it, said she. When I was a little girl, I used to attend once in a while, said she. She said, I must admit to you, I haven't been in church in years. I'm married now. I have two children. One is three, one is four. My husband and I have been discussing how we need to get back to church. And we had a great, great conversation, and I look forward to... Are you here tonight, by the way? I should, I'm talking about people, and they might be right here. That would be embarrassing. Uh, anyway, I hope she's not here tonight, but does come on... <laughs> on uh, on Sunday. So I didn't use my normal formula. Don't be bound to it. I was going to, after she spoke a little bit, you know what I was going to say to her? I was going to say simply 40 words. Here they are on the screen. I was going to say, hey, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It was when I realized that God was willing to forgive all my sins through the death of his son, Jesus, on the cross in my place. And you see, I memorized this because I need some way to turn a conversation to spiritual things. And so I just came up with this little deal, and it works. After you converse and prove yourself to be not a good preacher, but a good listener to someone, then you can say, hey, let me tell you. And then you go from there. Listen, I I, I, I wish for you the joy of having a conversation with someone this week about the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a chance. Risk it. I have found tremendous openness. I know there are people who are opposed to the gospel, but I've not run into that very much, to tell you the truth. I've run into the opposite. She allowed me to pray for her. She allowed me to tell her about our wonderful children's program, our Bible study program here. She allowed me to uh, tell her about our pastor, who she remembers from, uh, what is it, pastor, 100 years ago, or so, when she was just a young child, something like that. Uh, she remembers, and I said, our church has grown and changed for the better. Since then, I told her about the children's building and why that came first on our agenda, and because children are so important to us, and so on and so forth. It was just a, an absolute joy. And then... Uh, well, then I was forced to have, I had to give her a big tip. That wasn't so good. Because you see, you got to be careful because you invalidate everything you say if you stiff someone. So you got to come up with a big tip. I just counted part of my tithe for this next month. <laughs> so we're okay. Folks, do not, miss, don't rob yourself. The Lord Jesus doesn't need to use us. He can raise up stones to sing his praises. He's bestowed that privilege of evangelism on us. So please don't miss 
out on the opportunity this next week, and I've asked you to do this. Would you pray for me that I'd have a chance to talk to at least one person this next week? Billy, wasn't it a joy you got to talk to Bob about the, about the Lord Jesus? It, there's just nothing like it. Brother Jim, you're doing the work. Now, you said this was an older uh, older lady uh, that you spoke to, and then, so that's a relative term, isn't it? O- older, yeah. So, uh, uh, folks, don't miss out on the opportunity. This, hey, listen, uh, the Lord Jesus is a giver of uh, grace of an amazing kind. You, you, you can't hold that with me- that message. Hey, there's a song that contains those words. Do you know of it? Amazing grace, let's sing it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's enough. Listen, 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 listen. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Is it a sweet sound to you? I'm telling you, it was to this particular person I'll tell you about. He was born in a Christian home in London in 1725. His mother was a very strong Christian who acquainted her son early on with passages of Scripture containing biblical truth. But when he was about seven years old, tragedy struck. His mother died of tuberculosis. He was sent off at that point to live in a boarding school for a few years. It wasn't very good. His father remarried, and then he was brought home to live with his dad and his stepmom. It wasn't a happy experience. His father was a... uh, kind of a merchant sailor, and he went off with his father. His father was kind of an old, crusty man, and he was exposed, the, the young boy, to all manner of things, as you could imagine. It wasn't very good. He was 11 years old at the time. And his father kind of orchestrated his life for him. He made plans for him to work on a sugar, uh, sugar cane plantation in Jamaica, but he didn't want to do that, this young boy, and so he ran off, and he signed on with a merchant ship. And uh, he ended up in the Royal Navy. He kind of got conscripted in the Royal Navy. It was pretty much against his will. He didn't like it one bit. In fact, at one point, he tried to desert, but he was caught, and he was flogged. I mean, that's military justice. He was flogged in in front of the entire crew on this ship, and he variously went back in his mind. He wasn't sure what he was going to do about this. He thought very seriously about killing the captain of the ship, or else committing suicide by throwing himself into the turbulent waters of the uh, ocean. Well, he ended up transferring from there to a slave ship. He became became someone involved in the slave trade. In fact, on one trip to West Africa, he was on a ship, and it was loaded with all kinds of goods that were going to be traded for for slaves, for African slaves. Things were not working out very well for him. The person he was uh, working for did not treat him very kindly, and he began to spiral downward at that point emotionally and psychologically, surely spiritually. He had no spiritual life whatsoever, and he degraded himself. He began to participate in all kinds of immoral behavior, and uh, he sunk real, real low. Well, in 1948, he was on a ship. He got himself on a ship, back to England, and the ship ran into a very severe storm, and it almost sank. And In fact, he was tied up on the ship to keep him from falling overboard. It was really, really bad. And at that point, he began to reflect on his whole life. And his mother, his dear Christian mother, who acquainted him with biblical truth at an early age, truth he never internalized nor lived with. And he began to think about wasted years and what he had turned out to be and 
for the first time in his entire life, he, he prayed and he wondered if God would have him. And he thought based on all that he had done, uh, God, not even this so-called God of all grace would be gracious enough to forgive all his sin. He was convinced that he had simply out the grace of God. He thought he would soon, soon stand before God. He didn't know how he would stand, but something in him moved him to trust God for salvation. And in part, he said it was the scriptures that his mom had imparted to him, even when he was a very young and rather unresponsive young boy. He reflected specifically on scriptures that had to do with the grace of God, grace that had nothing to do with him. It had all to do with the character of of God. And he prayed for the first time in years. He cried out to this God who he had rebelled against and denied for many, many years. And, well, the ship made it safely through the storm, and so did this young man. Years later, he reflected on this time and he referred to it as the hour I first believed. He began to read the Bible voraciously both on ship and years after and by the time he got to England after this terrible time on ship he said he had been truly redeemed by the Lord Jesus. He was a reprobate. He was immoral. He was a slave traitor. He sold human beings for stuff and for money. But his life was changed radically. He found new life. He was redeemed. He was converted. He was born again. Sometime later, he paused to reflect on all this that God had done for him. And he wrote down his thoughts on paper. And this is what he wrote. He wrote this. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. He wrote, I once was lost, but now, it's different now. Now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That song, Amazing Grace, is John Newton's song. He wrote it. Is that song, Amazing Grace, is it your song? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Can you say, it's my song, the words behind it, That's my story as well. If your answer is no, uh, that's not my song and I cannot relate, I must tell you even at the risk of offending you, it's not because the gracious Lord Jesus has refused to be gracious to you. I want to prove tonight that he stands ready to pour out his grace upon you, just like he did upon John Newton. Here's the verse for tonight, just one. John chapter 1, verse 16 John chapter 1, verse 16, by the end of the night, I'll bet you we all have this memorized. That's my goal. John 1, 16, for of his fullness, it's a reference to the Lord Jesus. His name has not yet been mentioned in John's, God, John's writing this. John the apostle is writing this story of Jesus. He hasn't once mentioned his name yet, but we know who he's referring to. For of his fullness we have all received, that's what the text says, and grace upon grace. I don't know what you think about when you think about the Lord Jesus, but please don't neglect to think about this. He offers amazing grace. 
Many things characterize him. We can fill the rest of the evening with all of his perfections and attributes, but don't miss this one. In this verse, the writer under inspiration, John, I mentioned his name, chooses to single out one particular characteristic of this Jesus, and it is his grace. Jesus, you say, is characterized by amazing grace. You think we could recite that verse now without even looking at it? Let's try. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace that's what the text says in Jesus there is the fullness of God's grace in the Lord Jesus we receive grace but that's not all in Jesus we receive a fresh supply of grace to make up for the grace we have previously received That's what the verse says. Say it with me. For of his fullness we have all received. Here's the part I'm speaking of. And grace upon grace. You can't use up an inexhaustible supply of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Folks, I got to tell you something. I don't like to admit this, but it's true. Our faithfulness to him is limited. Our loyalty to him is limited. Our commitment to him That too is limited, but God's grace towards us manifested specifically in the Lord Jesus knows no limits. You see, from him is grace upon grace. Now, what are we talking about specifically when we pause to talk about grace Let me keep it simple. Grace is when God gives good things to undeserving people like us. That's what grace is. Grace is when God chooses to give undeserved good things to people like us. In other words, God's grace, did you know this? It operates independently of us. In other words, there's nothing in us that evokes God's grace, so stop looking for it. There's no sufficient virtue or goodness, strength of character or morality. There's not enough of that in you or me to evoke God's grace. Therefore, his grace is manifested independent of any good thing in us, and it comes independent of all the bad things in us. Grace is a function of the character of God because he's the God of all grace. He shows us grace. He's the giver of it. We are the recipients of it. That's it. Now, here's some bad news. Because God's grace operates independent of us, we can't take credit for all the good things that come our way. I was riding down 35 yesterday. And I was, going, I was in the slow lane. I was going 45. I, that's not too bad. That was the speed limit. I was right at the speed limit. I'm approaching an intersection. There's uh, two lanes of traffic going. I was heading from Alvin towards Pearland. Two lanes of traffic coming in the opposite direction. I got a green light. There's an intersection. I'm going. Someone coming from the other direction decides to make a turn. A big old van right in front of me. Well, uh, I hit the brakes and I swerved, and I could have been hit by uh, someone in the left lane, you know, coming up on. It was 
you know, and, but there was no one there, and I got away, and, and then I'm facing oncoming traffic because I'm going that way, and I pulled back over here, and I finished up, and I, I got home, and the first thing I, I told my wife, I said, you ought to be grateful that you're married to a guy with such good reflexes. That's what I told her. And I went on and on and on about even this old guy she's married to has pretty quick, amazing reflexes. And I'm going on and on and on, sort of half fooling around, but also taking credit for saving myself. But then I realized, are you kidding me? That was just a fresh supply of God's grace. Are you kidding? When I, when I divided up all the elements that led to my traffic salvation, it had not, not much at all to do with quick reflexes. It had to do with the grace of God. No one was coming alongside me. The people in the other lane got out of the way. I missed this guy by about this much. And it was even the, by the grace of God I, I kept from cussing him. I mean, what could you take credit for? You tell me. And even if I felt like I had quick reflexes, where did I even get the capacity to inhale and exhale but from Almighty God? So here's the bad thing about the amazing grace of God. I want to know, what can you and I boast about? See, that's the downside of the grace of God. But here's the upside. Since it has nothing to do with us, it operates independent of us, it never can be forfeited. I'll take the upside. How about you? It has nothing to do with you or me. Any proposed goodnesses, any real badnesses, it all has to do with the giver of grace, almighty God, who chooses to bestow grace on people like you and me. What is grace? It's something we have no right to. It cannot be earned. It is undeserved. It can only be received. If it's earned, this is interesting, it's not grace. <laughs> if it is merited, it, it ceases to be grace. If it is deserved, it is not grace. Someone made this statement about grace. He said, it is everything for nothing to those who don't deserve anything. That's grace. Not only can we not earn God's grace, do you know it offends God when we try to? Let me offer an illustration to you that I read about the other day, and it has to do with the president, a president of the United States. And Now, don't let your mind take you to realities today. It's just an illustration. Can you just handle the illustration and don't go political on me? It's just a story. You've been invited by the President of the United States to a great, great banquet in the White House. You go and you have had an unforgettable time and at the end of the evening, as you're about to leave, you get in the receiving line because the President himself is there to bid his guests adieu, you being one of them. You go by the president and you say, Mr. President, I want to thank you so much for this most wonderful evening. I know this must have come to you at a very great expense, so I would like to make a small contribution to help cover the cost. And with the president standing right there, you reach your hand into your pocket and you extract one thin dime and you press it into the president's hand you say thank you sir and you take leave of him my 
goodness. That is no compliment. That would be an insult to the President of the United States. Don't you see? Grace does not require, nor will grace ever accept any contributions from its recipients. Listen, my fellow Christians, get over yourself as I have to get over me. Uh, by grace, we have been saved through faith, and by grace, we stand as saved people. It's all by grace. We should serve the Lord Jesus Christ so as to say thank you. But if we think whatever service we render to the Lord is to pay him back for grace, that's like reaching into our pocket for that thin dime to put it into the hand of transcendent deity. Are you kidding? What a slap in the face. What an insult. I'll tell you the toughest discipline for you and I as Christians, let God shower his grace upon you and me in spite of us. This brings glory. This brings glory to his name. It's a bad thing that God's grace uh, has nothing to do with us. It's a good thing because we'll never, ever forfeit it. That's what the verse says. Would you recite it with me? For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. You see, God's a God of all grace, and because God never changes, did you know that? He, he's always the same, yesterday, today, and forevermore. Since he is an unchangeable God of grace, therefore, we can count on this. His grace towards us never ends. Did you know that? We have our ups and downs and our moods and all the rest, and there's all kinds of crazy changes in the day in which we live, but Jesus is the rock. He's immutable. He never changes, and so based upon his immutability, his unchangeable, gracious character. I know, you should know, we forever will be recipients of God's grace. We have been saved by God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. And having been saved, we are forever recipients of God's inexhaustible supply of grace. That's what the verse says. Would you say it with me? For of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. I seem to be persisting in this particular verse because uh, you and I need something to fill our minds other than the news. I'm telling you, we're being brought down, we who ought to be exhilarated about being recipients of God's grace. We have a mission. Regardless of what's going on in this election year, we have a mission. It's to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are recipients of his grace. Nobody could take that away from us. We ought to rejoice in it. Now, I'd like to remind you and me of this. God is holy and just, uh, and we have not kept his law. Therefore, we have a big problem. He's going to judge us as the lawbreakers we are. But look at what God has done in response to our sin. Well, here it is. Say it with me. For of his fullness... We have all received, and grace upon grace. That is God's response to our sin as lawbreakers. We've sinned against his holiness. We have violated his laws, but in Christ Jesus, we have grace greater than all our sin. In fact, in him we have grace, and it keeps coming. Grace upon grace. God is... Uh, the God of all grace. And grace is when God chooses to bless us rather than curse us. 
We deserve that. But instead, he chooses to bless us. That's grace. Did you know grace is the only way a person can ever enter into a personal relationship with God? And you know what this does? It makes us all the same, though we are not the same uh, externally. If you look around, even in this room, you'll see diversity here of gender and ethnicity and ages and uh, all the rest. And this grace is a very interesting thing. It levels the playing field. Grace is the great equalizer. Every single person created in the image of God has broken God's law, and every single person needs to be a willing recipient of God's grace. That's the common denominator, and it surpasses all other differences. Now, folks, I want to tell you, we do not glorify God by working for his favor. Did you know that? No, 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 no. We glorify ourselves when we do that. But we do bring glory to Almighty God by accepting his salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That glorifies God. By allowing God to bestow upon us, to keep on bestowing upon us his grace, we bring much glory to his name simply by being a willing recipient of his grace. Now, in whose eyes do we glorify him? Well, in the eyes of other human beings, but this may surprise you. By being willing recipients of God's grace, I think we bring glory to Almighty God even in the eyes of angels. I would like to prove it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. It's a really, really thought-provoking verse. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Listen. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. That's us, right? Believers make up the church. Paul is writing to the Ephesians here. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to whom? Look what it says. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Folks, that is a reference to angels, good ones and bad ones, otherwise known as demons. This is a, an overwhelming verse. Is Paul actually, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, is he actually saying that we, the church, have something to make known <laughs> to heavenly beings? The answer is yes. I need to tell you something. You and I think evangelism is limited to other human beings. Oh, no, it goes way beyond that. We are actually a testimony we're actually representing the true gracious character of God to the heavenly host. It goes way beyond your next door neighbor. I'm telling you, even angels and demons look to see the manifold wisdom of God demonstrated through the church. Now, how does that happen? Well, in the context, I'll save you some time, in the context, Paul is writing about friction between two people groups, Jews and Gentiles. We have friction between people groups today, but I want to tell you, the one between Jews and Gentiles in Paul's day, and to some extent today, was really, really big. Uh, the Jews didn't like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles didn't like the Jews. That's just, I mean, that's the way it is. You don't want to marry one of them? They eat funny food and all, you know, they live in different neighborhoods. You know, on and on. It's the same kind of racism we have today. But in that case, it was between Jews and Gentiles. And nobody could bridge the gap. 
then. These two warring groups could not be reconciled. One felt better than the other. One felt the other was inferior. No one could put it together. But God, in his wisdom, did. He made both groups one. How? By offering salvation to the members of both groups on the same basis. Grace alone. The Jews had a lot to brag about. We have the law of Moses and all kinds of privileges and access to the temple, stuff like that. And God took away all of their arrogant boastfulness in a second. And the Gentiles didn't have any, any of this stuff. They were relying on pagan gods and stuff like that. God took all that away. And he said both for you Jews and you Gentiles, the only way you can come to be in a personal relationship with me is through faith, by grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul made this clear and said this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I'll bet you know this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It has nothing to do with you. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Why not? So that no one may boast. So God, by grace, took away the boastfulness of the Jews and the boastfulness of the Gentiles. They couldn't lord anything over the other group because God so wonderfully leveled the playing field. In his wisdom, God extended salvation on the same terms to both Jews and Gentiles, all by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he made both groups into one. And so it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So I have to tell you this. When God thinks of you, this may offend you. When God thinks of you, he is really not thinking of you as a male person or as a female person. When God thinks of us, he is really not thinking of us as a Jewish person or a Gentile person. When God thinks of you, he's not really thinking of you as a white person or a black person. When God thinks of you, <laughs> you know what he's thinking of? He's thinking of you in light of his grace. That's it. I'm in favor of civil rights legislation, but that's not going to get it done because it can't change our sinful hearts. It's external. Nothing can change me on the But when I come before God, a sinner with nothing to offer, just as I am without one plea, and then I find out that God is willing to accept me by grace as one who has been fully graced. How could I not exchange grace? extend grace to another person of a different color or gender or age. Can you see the hypocrisy of it all if we do something like that? It's the grace of God that can bring people together, nothing else. Are you familiar with something called Jim Crow laws? They existed until this may be a surprise to you. We're not talking about ancient history here. Mid-60s. That's called yesterday in terms of the unfolding of, of history. Jim Crow laws. Here they were advanced under the guise of separate but equal. Separate facilities for blacks and whites. Oh, but equal. But, but that was a lie. 
Separate, maybe, but definitely not equal. Jim Crow laws. Want to hear a Jim Crow law? In a court of law, there, was, uh, there were separate Bibles. <laughs> if you were a white person, you had to put your hand on the Bible to swear to tell the truth, you know, nothing but the truth. That's the Bible for white people. But if you were testifying in a court of law, you were a black person, we got to get out the Bible for black people. And you would put your hand on the Bible. You take the same oath and all the rest. Can I tell you what's so ironic about that? Whether it be the black Bible or the white Bible, the Bible says the same thing. And you know what it says? For by grace, you white people have been saved. And for by grace, you black people have been saved through faith. That's the great equalizer. Can you see why grace is so resisted by the evil one? You know the number one way Satan has made war against grace? By raising up religions. Because <laughs> that gets you to take pride in your religious practices. Usually they're external religious practices. What you wear and what you eat and, you know, and how many times you bow down or stand up and all this kind of stuff. Then you get to brag about it. <laughs> That's what Satan does. He throws religion into the mix to militate against grace because of the power of grace to bring people, divergent, diverse people together. So don't miss this. The way to bring glory to God, I know it's your desire. You and I pray, oh God, please let me glorify you on the earth. You pray that, I pray that. But I think the number one way to bring glory to God in the eyes of people, angels and demons, is by accepting his grace. This is tough, by accepting his grace. The angels and demons, they see us as undeserving people, sinners, and we are by nature, having God's grace in common and freely bestowed upon us. And you know what? They learn from us about God. They learn he is indeed the God of all grace. Folks, look around at this motley crew. <laughs> look at us. But for God's grace, I doubt we'd be hanging out with one another very much. I don't think we would be regarding one another as a brother and sister. But the same heavenly father who happens to be the God of all grace has brought us in from outside on the same basis. It's not ethnicity. It's not gender. It's not stock portfolios. It's none of the above. It's the grace of God. Can you see the distinctive of Christianity? There's no other faith perspective like this, none whatsoever. If you let God forgive you, you teach the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places that God is forgiving. If you let God love you, you teach the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that God is loving. If you let God Bless you by his grace. You teach the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that God is gracious. You see? You and I are manifestations of the grace of God to earthly and heavenly observers. We're going to get old, all of us. <laughs> Everyone goes that way unless our lives end sooner. Older people have a malady, and that is, why am I still here and what is my purpose? I hope we're sympathetic, sensitive. If it's a Christian older person, I've discovered the answer. 
our purpose, regardless of age, in being here is to be a recipient of God's grace. In so doing, we are manifesting to human and angelic observers. The unseen God is a God of all grace. Folks, that's evangelism on another level entirely. We're manifestations of his grace. When you and I look at the church, we may see hypocrisy and we may see some conflict or some warped priorities, who knows what. We may see some turf wars when we look at the church. But do you know what angels see when they look to the church? They see a body of new creatures, saved (laughs) from bondage to a cruel taskmaster, sin, and made to stand pure and triumphant in the very presence of Almighty God. That's what angels see. They see a bride being made ready for the bridegroom. Let the bridegroom affix his loving grace upon you. Let him just wrap his arms of grace upon you, and you may not be able to tolerate yourself feeling unlovely, flawed, imperfect, and sinful, and I can't talk you out of it. You're probably that and worse, but it doesn't matter to the God of all grace. Here's your biggest issue. Not self-esteem. Not believe in yourself. You're a wretch just like John Newton was. No. You want to get out of that. You don't want to look to selfish. What does our pastor say? Savior esteem. You want to esteem the Savior who by his grace will have us just as we are, just as we are. And in so doing, you and I bring glory even to the powers and principalities of the air. Folks, grace is the gift that keeps on giving. How do I know that? Would you say that verse with me? For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon. See, it's the gift that keeps on giving. We're saved by grace. We are kept saved by grace. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, and now I see. I see the God of all grace. I see Jesus high and lifted up. I see him seated at the right hand of the Father. I see him praying for me, pulling for me, cheering me on. I see him bestowing his grace upon me. What about you? How do you see Jesus? Do you see him that way? If so, then Amazing grace is indeed a very, very sweet sound to you. If not, why not? If not, let me tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's when I realized that Almighty God was willing to forgive all my sins. It cost him. It was through the death of his son, His name is Jesus on the cross. And it was all in my place. If you've not accepted the Lord Jesus, 
the God of all grace. Do so tonight. Do so tonight. Do so right here, right now. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I am a sinner. I have rebelled against you. I have disobeyed you. I have ignored you. Come inside. I open my life to you. Take control. My sin has been like a wall between the two of us. Tear it down, Lord Jesus. Forgive my sin. Thank you for paying for its penalty by suffering and dying on the cross in my place. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve to be considered one of your children. But I believe. I have faith. I believe. Your grace surpasses all of my sin. By your grace, save me, Lord Jesus, right now. And make this wonderful song mine. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that just saved a wretch like me. Yeah, I once was lost, but now I see. Oh, God, I see you high and lifted up. I see you pulling for me, praying for me, smiling upon me, laying out a plan for me, and getting ready to welcome me home to be with you forever in due season. This I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen, amen.